0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar, thanks for tuning in to another episode. We've been watching as this conflict in the Black Sea threatens supply of a raft of commodities, from gas and oil to wheat and fertiliser. And we're seeing this shock move through supply chains very quickly and it's increasing the cost of production just about everywhere you turn. So in today's episode, Robert Herman is joining me and we're going to talk through whether some of our other agricultural commodities like wool and livestock are being impacted and also covering what this volatile grain market means for growers in their decision making this season. Now, before we get underway, I'll cover some of the highlight movements from this week's markets. And while they've been in no way record breaking, processing throughput figures have started to move higher over the past month. And that's signalling that capacity has been returning to the industry. For lambs, though, we haven't seen that increase in processing capacity translate into prices. Both the trade and heavy lamb indicators have continued on a downward trend that started in the new year. Slaughter supply isn't expected to slip away too quickly, though, in autumn, as we have got a bit of ground lost to COVID-19 impacts on processing earlier in the year. And plenty of that rain has kept summer crops available for lambs in a lot of areas. Some of the logistic constraints from the floods have also been resolved in Queensland, and we've seen cattle slaughter increase as a result, which is good news. Cattle yardings have also lifted, which put a bit of pressure on price this week for young cattle, although there was some positive movement in finished stock prices. And we'll leave it there today and get straight into today's episode.
1: Have you ever had that feeling in your tummy when you haven't eaten all day and it's just rumbling and grumbling? Then you go to the fridge and doubt it, there's nothing in it. Well here's the key to beating the empty fridge blues. Be prepared. Think ahead. What should I have this week? Steak? Lamb? Why not head over to Cleavers Organics website and check out their range of certified organic beef, lamb and chicken products. Order online for home delivery. What else have they got here? Organic beef jerky? Yeah, I wouldn't mind trying that. Cleavers organic meats come from Aussie farming families. Cleavers Organics. From families to families. Thanks for sponsoring our podcast this week and don't forget to check them out. Now back to the latest agricultural market trends from the team at Mercado.
0: Rob, it's great to be back with you on Commodity Conversations. We both had a little bit of a break last week and it feels like uh, a lot has happened in the commodity landscape in the last fortnight, but we're still reeling in this state of uncertainty and volatility.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, We are lucky to get back to because I think Dave and Adrian seem to really uh, enjoy themselves and uh, did a good job. Um, But but on a serious note, we're in a period where it is extreme volatility and commodity – well, traders don't mind volatility, but people who are consuming or producing commodities, you know, find volatility unsettling, and especially when it's caused by things that we're not used to seeing. And, uh, and the Russia-Ukraine war is is one of those sort of events that, you know, nobody feels comfortable about, but the impact on commodities is quite significant.
0: Yeah, and look, we'll, of course, cover off on grain and the grain market in today's conversation, but I think it's also really important that we cover off on what the flow-through impacts of this conflict are to our other key agricultural commodities. Because, you know, as a starting point, energy prices affect everything and I was was really interested in particular in Andrew Woods's article this week and he was looking at the relationship between crude oil and fiber prices so do you think there could be some sort of impact on the wool market by these rising oil prices?
1: Well I, I don't think the well Andrew makes some really good points and he's it's great reading Andrew's articles because they uh he, he, they're always well researched, and of course, when you've got as much experience and been doing it for as long as Andrew has, they're naturally well researched with your own experience. Um, and he makes a really good point that if we look at, we we know that this war has, um, you know, pushed up global oil prices, and that all makes sense. And so then, by extrapolation, we say, well, okay, the man-made fibers rely on oil, and therefore their base price must go up, and that's true. Then the next question is, well, will that automatically translate to the Australian wool market where we're really interested in? And Andrew's answer is, well, it might and it might not. And, and that's based on the past. There is, there is a relationship between all fibers that are used in uh, you know, apparel fibers or furnishings or whatever, but the, it, it's quite loose in, in that it tends to move at different times, um, the different fibers. And it would be unfair to say that the wool price is directly linked to the uh, man-made fibres in as much as if the man-made fibres go up, wool goes up. So his answer, I thought it was a very, clever, a very good answer where he said, well, please yourself, it could go either way. And, and that's what history is telling us.
0: Yeah, and I suppose it's the, the whole economic outlook that's really the big determining piece for wool.
1: That's exactly right. And, and wool is very sensitive to the economic outlook. And, and that's where we should be more concerned. Um, it, it's an interesting. I was reading David Hart's comments today uh, in his report. And David's the nutrient wool manager in the northern sector for um for nutrient. Wool, uh, and, and he was saying that you know the the market suffered because of concerns about logistics and confidence and finance availability, and things like that. But the underlying demand is quite strong and coming from more varied countries than we've seen in the past. So, you know, included India and Europe as being, um, you know, strong, showing stronger interest in the war, whereas up until, you know, recent times, China's been so dominant. So, the point you make is spot on, Liv. That uh, the, it's the economic demand, economic activity that will directly impact on wool, because that's more measurable in the past than the the oil price of being a a driver of wool prices.
0: And turning to grains for a minute, so we know grain prices have lifted significantly, but why is the wheat forward curve discounted to the current?
1: Well, it's a good observation, and um, so we've got to we look at it in two separate parts, if you like. On the one hand, the current prices are really reflecting the demand for wheat right now. You know, people who need wheat this week, next month, next three months have got to be in this market, and we know that the um, the demand, the supply, or the s and d is tight. Um, uh, you know, Nick has been saying that in his articles um, that he's been writing for us and and explaining that very well. The supply is very tight, but then you overlay that with the uncertainty that the Ukraine-Russian war um, has brought on. And given that we know that that is a significant supply of wheat. So that's really pushing the price to extreme levels right now. But the forward price, as you go further out, is made up of the perception of traders. And, and so the traders are saying, well, is it likely that these really tight conditions will stay forever? Is it likely the war will go on forever? And, and the, they're saying, well, their bet is that it won't. And therefore, the forward price, as you go further out, is, um, is less than the current price. So in uh, in trading terms, it's called backwardation, Liv. There's there's the word for the day. Uh, the market is in backwardation when the forward price is lower than the current price. And it should be pointed out that that's not the usual case with grain. Usually grain, the forward price of grain is slightly higher than the current price because, you know, it's, it's the cost of carry that's built into that. While we're on grain, Liv, I was going to ask you a question. What about canola, you know, I know Nick and, and you guys have been looking at that. What's the impact of what's happening in the Baltic region uh, on oil seeds, and uh, is it likely to push the price higher also?
0: Yeah, it's a good one. Well, wheat is by far the crop commodity that's most affected by the conflict due to the amount that's produced in that region. But Ukraine is still a big canola exporter. They're about 20% of global canola exports just behind Australia and Canada Uh, And most of that goes to the EU. And so their canola crops already planted, uh, like wheat, it was planted around September, October, and then it's harvested in July and August period. Um, But the other thing is they're also a really big exporter of sunflower oil to the world. So between Russia and Ukraine, they account for around um, almost 80% of global exports of sunflower oil. And and that is just a small part of the total oilseed complex, but it's still a driver. And so because of that risk to those two products, we are seeing uh, canola futures markets increase a lot as well. So particularly the native Paris contract, it's lifted by around 27% since um, pre-war, which is definitely not to the same extent that the wheat market has increased, but we are seeing, yeah, prices increase a lot in the futures market there.
1: So if you're in the business of analysing things, these are exciting times because there's a whole lot to talk about, Liv. (laughs) Um, I think um, this all begs the question, though, that uh, so what do Australian farmers do? And remembering our situation is that we're really very little planting, you know, there's minimal planting started at the moment. We can't say there's none. There is some planting, but very little and uh, last week when I was away, I managed to tour around um, the Wimmera and parts of the Mallee and talking to farmers. Um, they're telling me that their conditions are just extraordinary. You know, some farmers in those dry land cropping areas have got 100% moisture profile. So it means they're going to be planting into a guarantee of moisture for those plants as they get their roots down. In fact, some are saying they'll be waiting for the for the paddocks to dry up a bit before they actually get their tractors on, um, which is, it, it's uh, you know, I suppose a bit of a problem, but it's not a bad problem to have. But I think... Then the question is, well, what should farmers do? Because in the grains and oil seeds industry, you do have the ability to lock in forward prices, and and it's quite a simple process. There's traders out there who are offering forward prices. There's bank swaps. There's uh, futures contracts, whether they be in Australia or overseas. Um, and you know, we were discussing this with some of our clients this week, and. You know, most clients who have been thinking along these lines, live would already have something locked in um, and they would have done it, you know, in an organised way where they would be saying, look, let's have a have a look at the price is attractive. Um, we don't have anything in the ground, so we don't know what the crop progress is and we would do conservative. So maybe they're doing sort of 15, 20 percent of their expected conservative yields. I think in the discussions we had, the, the point we sat on was that, well, we shouldn't be changing our program based on a war in Russia, if you like. We should just be sticking to our program. And what that means is, as, as the crop gets planted into this moisture, as it grows a bit, we get closer, you know, every day we're getting a day closer to harvest, which is a bit of a scary thought. But um, as we get closer um, and as the crop progresses, then put in place your plan where you say, okay, if the price is attractive, we increase our forward sales to 20%, 30%, 40%, 50% and so on to what we're comfortable with. But to to, to jump at the high prices and lock them in just because they're high prices, that's carries some risk because we all know that you need to manage your production risk when you're um, forward selling.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly to that point, Rob, With the cost of inputs where they are at the moment, that risk is heightened as well.
1: It's heightened on the one hand. The high prices is also a godsend on the other hand because you know it'd be be terrible if we had wheat at two hundred dollars a ton and we had I don't know urea at fourteen hundred dollars a ton or whatever it is. Um, That would be a disaster. So we do have high prices, which and the incentive is when high prices are around is to take advantage of high prices. And we know one of the Ways of taking advantage of high prices is maximising your crop, producing as many tons as you can. So, I think I think it's fair to say that even though the inputs have really ramped up, um, and and most of it's on the back of, you know, first of all logistics problems, and and then the war, um, farmers have still got an incentive to plant the crop, live, and um, and and they'll make profits in this equation, but. You know, I think people are watching very closely. What And uh, the other thing I noticed, uh, David and Adrian was talking about this today. You know that the, the weather outlook, Liv, is uh, looking looking like it might be another um, favourable year, perhaps.
0: Yeah, a continuation of La Nina.
1: <laughs> so um, that seems extraordinary. That uh, you know, when we think back in the last twenty years, we've dealt with some pretty lean years, pretty dry years. So seasonal conditions are a factor. Um, they're a factor in in your production, but they should also be a factor in considering your um, forward selling. And and while we do have a lot of moisture in, in, in a lot of areas that are going to be cropping this year, um, there's still a long way to go. So, you know, I'd be conservative in any, any forward sales and, as I say, not jumping in. I've got to ask you a question, though, Liv. We, we haven't talked about red meat and it doesn't get much of a mention into Russia and uh, uh, and the Ukraine, et cetera. But I did have a question today from um, I was talking to the Australian Livestock Yard Association and they wanted to know what the impact on red meat would be. And I gave them a, a bit of a commentary, but I'm interested in what your thoughts are.
0: Well, if, if you look at the market to date, the short answer is that we haven't seen any impact on red meat pricing yet because of the conflict. We, we haven't seen any rallies or any, any falls. Um, If we look at the 90 CL, which is our benchmark indicator of uh, the global beef price, um, it's Australian products sent into the U S that's been uh, fairly flat for the last couple of weeks now, which says that we haven't seen that flow through yet. So just because it hasn't happened yet uh, doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the future. And if you if you think about the rising inflation and, and the cost of grain, it would make sense that there would have to be some impact down the chain into red meat markets at some stage when our um, well, US feedlotters, for instance, are, are having to buy in grain at, at these extraordinary prices, what that does to their cost of production and how that flows through the market. So while we haven't seen that um, impact to date, I think there certainly would be room for that in the future. But what what were your
1: thoughts, Rob? Well, that that's exactly what I what I did say, Liv. So it just tells you that in the future you should be doing these presentations to the Sale Yards Association. I think there's the other thing to Just keep in the back of our mind, we know that the the herd is very low and is in a rebuild phase, and so is the sheep flock. Um, And we know that we had record low slaughter numbers. I think um, we put up a chart the other day saying it was the third lowest quarter or year or something in in the last 50 years. But 50% of that slaughter is coming from feedlots. And so your point about saying, well, maybe the impact is going to be that the margins on feedlots are going to be... Um, not as good as they would have been if we hadn't had the war, because you know, the grain prices do have this um this bit of elevation in them because of the the concerns over all of that. I as
0: suppose as the other side of it, we've talked at price, but it's the demand piece that could also be affected because we're everyone's seeing the uh, cost of their groceries and, and cost of living going up and if that's protracted over the long term, what sort of impact that has on consumer spending and um, affordability to be able to buy red meat, which we know is, um, you know, a high end purchase in a lot of cases.
1: That that continues to play out. And we know that Australian beef, for example, is, is some of the most expensive in the world. Um, there's reasons for that, you know, we get we get into the best markets and we have a you know a herd rebuild going on so all those things are, are feeding into that but in the end someone's got to be able to someone's got to decide to spend their affordable money on these products and uh, and and if things get more um, concerning or more um, upsetting in in global terms then perhaps that uh, the economy does contract a bit and um, and that feeds back into those prices but um Again, it's it's been great to catch up with you again, Liv. Um, we we do have a little bit of AFL centricity in Mikado because we're based down here in Ballarat, and I, I know we have a lot of people who are in the country, and you're in Sydney, and we listen we, we and we have NRL. I was going to say NFL, NRL, and and uh, AFL, but um, we went to the footy on Wednesday night, uh, for to, just to be there for the first game, and it was just fantastic to be in a big crowd, and you know people people getting excited and everything. And, of course, um, and then last night there was an amazing event, Liv, which you probably haven't picked up, but Carlton won their first game for the year for the first time in 12 years. So uh, they're pretty excited too.
0: No, that wasn't on my news feed, Rob, but I'm glad (laughs) to know that now.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, great to talk to you. Um, Thanks again, Liv, and uh, we'll catch up soon.
0: Cheers, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again. And until next week, take care.